Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to Morning Espresso. It's Wednesday the 19th of May 2021. It's a double celebration because we are celebrating a year of Morning Espresso. We've actually run 53 editions because some weeks we weren't here, other weeks we did extra ones for the US elections. So uh, 53 episodes later, but more importantly, we are celebrating the fifth anniversary of our Global Stars Equity Strategy. Now, those of you who are familiar with Nordea will know that when you hear stars, this refers to our dedicated ESG range. Um, and what we'll be doing is we'll be looking back over the past five years and also looking ahead for the next five years. So for this morning, I am joined by Johan Swan, who is Portfolio Manager of the Nordea Global Stars Equity Strategy. Good morning, Johan. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> and good morning also to Philip Rangberg, who is Senior ESG Strategy Analyst um, for this strategy. Hello, Philip. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, Philip. Right, so it was Monday uh, that we actually celebrated uh, the anniversary for this particular strategy. Um, so maybe we could kick off the celebration with um, a quick brief reminder of the Global Stars uh, value proposition and also the key characteristics now that we have five years um, under our belt. Right, I'm happy to do that, of course. Uh, thanks for having me on, on the show. It's, uh, it's good fun. Um, <laughs> No, so so Global Stars is is a is a, a long only stock uh, portfolio stock. Um, uh, what we try to do is we try to deliver the optimal combination of risk adjusted returns and sustainability. Uh, and what we kind of mean by that is to uh, be able to compete with any global out there, but do it with a portfolio of of companies that contribute to a sustainable world. Um, and the way we do it is we have a a um, full ESG uh, integration into our investment process. We have dedicated analysts uh, who help us uh, put together a portfolio of, of, of companies that are uh, good from a sustainable point of view. Uh, we work with you know positive selection in ESG. We try to use our ESG analysis to per, uh, enhance performance and uh, performance and engage with, with the companies that we invest in. Um, and then we have a, a, an investment process uh, for stock picking uh, that we are quite happy with. We call it our Global Stars Free Keys, uh, which we think is robust and, and works really well for us. Um, uh, <clears throat> the aim, I guess, is to outperform uh, our benchmark, which is the uh, MSCI All Country World Index. Uh, all country means that it has a higher share of emerging markets. Um, we try to outperform that by 300 basis points uh, uh, per year and do it with a, a portfolio that we benchmark against uh, ESG measures to make sure we have a, a sustainable uh, uh, portfolio in place. Yeah, it's super important, isn't it, to mention that the STARS products, I mean, we're not competing against uh, other 
ESG strategies. We're actually competing against the whole universe. And, uh, you know, th that's the starting point, really. So that's that's an important one to point out and doing it quite successfully as well. I mentioned as well. Um, you, you in passing there, you mentioned this three keys uh, that you feel are vital to unlocking sustainable performance in the strategy. Could you maybe just talk us through, you know, the portfolio construction and, you know, what makes it unique? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the key to the su success we've had in terms of performance and, and uh, the success of really is to uh, be very careful about how we take risks. Um, and what mm -hmm. we want to do is we want to focus our risk to where we have the highest conviction and at the same time, we want to diversify risks that we don't like. Um, and we think we find a quite an elegant way to, to do this. And at the same time, create alpha across the whole portfolio. Um, uh, in, uh, and the way we do it is we use a, a two bucket uh, approach to uh, portfolio construction, uh, where we essentially have two different types of positions. Uh, and the first bucket is, is what we call our expectations gap bucket. Um, this is where we try to exploit short and medium term dislocations in the market, where we try to make money through uh, finding situations where the market is pricing a stock wrong and where we have a different view from, from what the market is pricing. And, and this is really where we focus uh, a large share of our resources and, and our attention in the portfolio um, uh, and where we try to, to put most of the risk. And the key to get this part of the portfolio right is to, uh, to be patient and, and wait for the right opportunity to, uh, uh, to really look for, for the best opportunities there and apply uh, the capital when we have the chance. Um, but we don't want to put too much capital here uh, because uh, these opportunities are fairly rare and, and they come from time to time. And, and again, it's a resource intensive process for us to manage these positions because of the high risks that we typically have in them. So what we try to do is we try to put about a third of our portfolio into these expectations gap uh, positions uh, and typically around 10 stocks or so. Mm -hmm. Then the second bucket is what we call our moat and tailwind bucket. And here is where we focus on uh, longer term returns, right? Um, we believe that uh, stocks that generate outsized returns over time, they tend to have uh, certain characteristics. And, and perhaps the two most important is first, uh, we think they need some sort of sustainable competitive advantage or moat, um, something that allows them to generate uh, higher uh, returns on capital uh, than competitors or, or other companies, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. So hence we focus on, on the moat part. But the other thing that they tend to have is they tend to benefit from some sort of sustainable tailwind in their operation. Um, often it can be a, a secular growth pocket or, or something else that sort of drives the growth for them and, and, and allows them to sail uh, with the wind, so to speak, rather than uh, against the wind. Yeah. And we, we think then that if we, if we can find uh, this type of characteristics in companies across different sectors and geographies, uh, we can achieve a, a good diversification in the portfolio and at the same time generate uh, uh, alpha um, uh, across the portfolio. Mm -hmm. And typically, so, 
Yeah, just to finish up, I, I would say, uh, so, so th those sort of two thirds of the portfolio, they tend to have a little bit smaller positions to get that diversification going and, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. so, so based on that, I guess it's safe to assume that your teams, you know, the stock picking abilities have, have really been, you know, put to the test in that expectations gap part of the portfolio. So what is it that you're looking for in your gap analysis and, you know, maybe you have an example of, of how you can approach that part of the portfolio. Sure, if, if we can have the slide number three, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, I've tried to illustrate here what, what, what tends to happen and what we tend to look for. So mm -hmm. uh, our point is that in the market, expectations on a company or on a stock tends to change a lot faster than the underlying reality does. And I've illustrated this here with, with a stock graph uh, where you can see over time it has uh, you know a fairly nice uh, development uh, uh, going upwards but uh, the actual stock price varies a lot around that sort of axis of of, uh, of, of, of of trend growth if you will and what we try to do is we try to find the situations or, or the timing or when the market is pricing in something that we think is well below uh, the fundamental uh, value of the stock. And that happens from time to time in, in, in different stocks. And it could be uh, different reasons, but you know, maybe they have a bad quarter or something happens or something else that sort of makes the market doubt uh, the, the valuation. Mm -hmm. um, and then for us, what we then try to do is we try to get a, a feeling for uh, what the risk reward is in that particular uh, situation. If, I mean, if we are right in, and the market is wrong, what is the reward? What's the upside that we can we can gain? But also, if we happen to be wrong, which happens from time to time, I'm afraid, uh, <laughs> what's the downside risk, or how much do we stand to lose? Right. So um, yeah. that's something we try to do, and then we use our our research team to to really try and and get to the bottom of the fundamental case. Uh, uh, to try and, and increase our conviction in, in, in that we are right and the market is wrong. And then ideally, and lastly, we, we try to look for certain catalysts or events that could potentially get the market to come around uh, to our way of thinking and, and, and hopefully then revalue the stock uh, and generate uh, returns. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and you, you had a slide with you, didn't you, showing this expectation gap? I think you, it was with a bank. Yes, that's right. If, if we can get the slide up, um, uh, this is, yeah. I would say, a typical example of how we try to work with with the expectations gap. So, if you think about banks, really, it's it's uh, almost the opposite of moat and tailwind uh, at the outset, right? Because uh, a, a lot of competition is going on uh, with between the banks, and uh, there are significant headwinds from regulation and lower interest rates and all sorts of things. So banks yeah. have struggled for, for a long time. And uh, if you look at the graph here to the right, uh, you can see here that the light blue line um, is showing the relative performance of, of the global banks versus the broader index. You can also see the staples is our positioning in, in the banks uh, with, with the staples pointing down, meaning we're underweight banks and with the staples are pointing up, meaning we're overweight banks. And, and so for, for the most of, of, of the time in Global Stars, we've been underweight banks for the reasons I just told you. But uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of last year, we were starting to see an opportunity in the banks, uh, an expectations gap opening up, if you will. 
uh, and first of all, the, the, these banks were really, really cheap. I mean, they were trading on on almost half the book value, which is uh, lower or as low as it was uh, during the financial crisis. So we knew the banks were uh, really, really cheap and expectations mm -hmm. were really, really low. Uh, so we thought that the risk reward was good, limited downside risk with, with the potential to go up quite a bit. And we know from history that banks tend to move quickly when they when they move upwards because uh, they tend to move with macro conditions and when macro conditions suddenly turn that tends to be a good uh, trigger for or a catalyst for for uh, performance and in this mm -hmm. case we we knew that uh, uh, vaccines against the covid uh, 19 disease was on its way we knew that that was likely to lead to an economic recovery and we knew that the regulator that had had um, forbidden banks to pay dividends or buy back shares to essentially defend their share price that they would mm -hmm. turn around and once again let the banks uh, defend themselves so we we thought that we had a situation where uh, we had a big expectations gap with a high predictability uh, with cyclical patterns that tended to repeat so we actually went overweight banks more or less for the first time since the inception of 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 uh of um, uh, right into the U.S. election and, and into the vaccines, uh, and that is that has worked out well for us. Uh, we've been around uh, two percent overweight. We've seen twenty five percent outperformance of the banks, um, and and we have um, on top of that we've picked uh, some of the banks that were the cheapest, like ING and Lloyd's and and Citibank that have performed uh, really well for us uh, since then. So th that's a typical example where we have that that gap, we have that uh, conviction, and we have that uh, potential catalyst to, to, to generate the returns. So that's really interesting. So you didn't have bank uh, exposure, you, you're adding it now. Now that brings up a, a sort of follow on question, I guess, because a couple of weeks ago, we had um, Klaus Vorm on, on Expresso to give us an update on, on stable equities. And part of that discussion, you know, we talked about style bias in his portfolio. Now, your strategy is actually sort of style or, or factor agnostic, isn't it? So why don't you tell us a bit about that? Sure. No, I, for us, it's important to have uh, what we call an all-weather strategy. We want the, the, the portfolio to be able to perform in, in all kinds of regimes, whether it's value or if it's growth or, or anything else that tends to dominate the market uh, right now. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if you look at this slide here, you can see some of, of, of the style factors of the portfolio and how they have developed over time. And, and you can see to the top left uh, uh, on the value, for example, that we have tended to be underweight value, which means that we have been slightly overweight growth because that's been the regime that has been working. Uh, you can also see it's not a big overweight. So, so we still sort of consider ourselves to be fairly style neutral. Uh, but mm -hmm. more recently, and with the addition of the banks that we talked about earlier, you can see that we have now uh, uh, closed that gap a little bit and we're even slightly overweight value stocks uh, at the moment. And that ties yeah. into that uh, sector or style neutrality that we want. The really only factor that uh, is going to remain constant and, and the constant overweight for us is ESG, which you see to the uh, bottom left. And, and that, of course, ties into uh, being a star and, and having a sustainable portfolio and uh, and outperforming the benchmark on, on sustainability measures. Maybe maybe now is a good time to, to get Philip in on the conversation because he sat there patiently waiting uh, for us to talk to him. Uh, because clearly, you know, what underpins 
all of the star strategies actually is, is ESG integration. Um, and that's something that's certainly sort of evolving over time. I just wondered, you know, from your perspective, where do you think you know, we've come from? And perhaps more importantly, you know, where are we going from here in terms of ESG analysis? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's very good points that you, that you raised there. And as you also said, I mean, that's this ESG integration is something that uh, encompasses all, all star strategies that we do have here at Nordea and, and that Global Stars is included in that. Um, if we just kind of take, take a general view or general perspective where we've come from, and this is not Nordea specifically, but just in general, the market, I mean, responsible investing or sustainable investing has been something that was, I mean, just just a few years ago, maybe something that was quite ignored. People weren't really focused on. Um, you saw the strategies or the, the kind of um, tools that you used were a lot based on exclusions or, or negative screenings. Um, yeah. And that's something that from the start, I mean, from the start of Global Stars is something that, that we try to stay away from and we wanted to have a a more mature view of what ESG integration and what responsible investing could be. Um, and that's why since the start of the and something that we continue to do now is that we use a multitude of tools or a multitude of, of different perspectives on ESG investing. So, so we do have, as you mentioned, I mean, we, we prefer positive selection, but we also use active ownership and we engage with our companies. Um, we do have exclusion filters. So, I mean, we're, we're, we've since the start used a very broad palette uh, of different, um, of different uh, considerations when it comes to ESG integration, which is something that um, in, a, in that sense, we haven't had to adjust through the past years, but it's something that we've been fine tuning. Um, and because of that, we've been able to, when it comes to ESG, Nordea as a whole and Global Stars as a whole, um, be a bit ahead of our, our competitors actually. Um, and we've seen that, that we've, uh, that we've um, very much been at the forefront of ESG investing. Uh, since the start of the Global Stars strategy. So, Philip, what, what about, you know, the future? What about that part? Absolutely. So I think something that, I mean, that we're seeing already now that will they'll very much characterize that the next few years is, is focusing much more on, on impact and, and where, is the, where is the money going and, and how are we through our investments affecting or improving or, or, or just... Um, just affecting affecting the world um and and that's both because i mean clients is demanding it consumers out in the world if you look at new investors what what are they looking at it's it's very much i mean looking at value-driven investments uh, and also that regulation is beginning to is beginning to catch up as well or is, and is beginning to form how the landscape should look like i think something to bear in mind is that historically investors and asset managers like us it's been very much up to us defining what is sustainable how do we want to integrate it how do we want to incorporate it now we're seeing specifically in the in the european union that we're getting we're getting hard classifications on what it means to be sustainable we're having to classify different strategies we were getting more disclosure requirements uh, such as the sfdr sustainable finance disclosure regulation and it's also important to to realize that this doesn't only affect us financial actors but there's more regulation for corporates and companies themselves as well so i mean this is going to be a collaborative effort to bring the topic of impact um, uh, bring that to the top of the top of the table and top of the agenda um, and obviously uh, a, a way for us to understand and realize and have and and, um, and help companies realize their true impact is is through engagements as well, engagements as well, which is which is obviously a, a lever that we're using a lot in this uh, for this strategy. Yeah, exactly, and that that history goes back further, doesn't it? Because obviously we're celebrating five 
years of this particular strategy today, but we also have the emerging styles that, that goes back 10 years. So, you know, we, we have uh, a lot of experience in this space. And you, you mentioned it in passing there, super important that Nordir Asset Management, we believe that, you know, investment-led engagement is, is the way to go. Um, so maybe you could share uh, an example of, you know, maybe a significant engagement that you've carried out um, with one of the companies in the Global Stars portfolio and one that can illustrate, you know, the importance of that tool to bring around uh, uh, change. Absolutely. And, and I mean, uh, part of the value proposition is obviously that we, um, we engage or, or perform dialogue with, with, with uh, several of our holdings, obviously. But the, 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 yeah. the kind of example that I thought we could uh, bring forward today is, is one of, of, uh, of Little Fuse, which is a company that mm -hmm. provides, well, fuses essentially electro electronic components in the, in the U.S. market or globally, but they're present in the U.S. market. Um, and this is a company or a holding as well that actually originated from the responsible investments team. So this is something that, that the team I'm part of actually uh, brought to light. Um, and it was basically a way to kind of play the EV or electric vehicle trend. Um, and so, so why we why we think first of all, Little Fuse is is positive or positively contributing to to the UN SDGs or Sustainable Development Goals is because they're enabling a, a more rapid transformation to uh, electrifying uh, the transport fleet in in our economies. Um, but when it comes to engaging, I mean, there there's there's still things that we we think the company could improve on, um, and it's important to understand or acknowledge why uh, why we've chosen so far to engage on topics such as human capital and governance. Um, and that's, I mean, one of the main reasons is, is obviously that we want to increase our own conviction in, in, our role, in, our, in our own stock picking and understand a bit more how the company is dealing with its risks and, and how it's, how it's uh, trying to, to improve its opportunities as well. Um, and second of all, we also want to guide the company to become more SDG aligned, for example, we want to uh, further or, or help them become even more uh, or help them become uh, an even more active uh, uh, actor in, in, uh, in positive developments for society. And then uh, thirdly, it's, it's important to note that I mean, we also want to help Little Fuse future-proof their operations, whether it's meeting new regulation or new client demand, um, and and uh, and make help them not stagnate in the market that they're in. Uh, if we go to the next slide, we can see a bit more. We have a timeline of exactly what we've been doing or how our conversations and dialogues have been going with Little Fuse, um, mm -hmm. where we performed our first ESG assessment back in 2018. Uh, I believe the we actually invested in the company for the first time in Global Stars in 2019, um, and then we've had uh, we've uh, continued our our dialogues now last year in 2020 and the two main kind of uh, the main uh, achievements I would want to highlight is is that we we've we've helped them or we pushed them uh, to to um, disclose more when it comes to their environmental and social um, uh, environmental and social uh, factors uh, mm -hmm. for example when it comes to their climate footprint uh, and they've now they've they've started disclosing or since two years back they've just started disclosing to something called the carbon disclosure project or cdp and again this is this is helping us both understand how us how they're managing their their esg risks but also it's a signal to their clients that this is a company that is taking these these factors and taking these considerations seriously and mm. and a, a company that that will it will be better positioned in the future 
if there is an even more, or I mean, as regulation is tightening and as client demand is, is tightening as well. Um, another, another point that I could raise is Another topic that we've raised with the company is, is the topic of diversity, uh, where we believe that having obviously a, a more diverse uh, employee force, a more diverse management, more diverse board is something that will benefit the company long term if they're able to attract a broader set of personalities and, and competencies. And they're just an achievement from the company side is that since our investment to now, they've actually increased the, the, the number of women on their board by 20%. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's also an achievement that we've seen along the way and is encouraging. Um, just a final note I can also mention is obviously as the title is saying that improving is a, is a process and, and these are topics that we've chosen to engage on now, but that's not saying that, that we're done or that we won't engage on future topics either. Um, but this is kind of a historic uh, look at how our conversation and, and dialogue has been going with little few so far mm-hmm. that last point is is super interesting because we did some research didn't we at nodea and we found that actually more gender diverse boards and senior management en- ends up actually in better performance and off the back of that we ended up actually launching a specific strategy the global gender diversity strategy thematic uh, responsible investment which of course targets that un uh, sdg i think it's number five off the top of my head um so yeah i think that that's a, a really important uh, point to mention as well aside from all the other things that you're doing there so um so that's great maybe i could just go back to Johan because um you know, these days, all of our clients are being bombarded with ESG strategies, you know, fund managers coming out saying we're best in class. We've been doing this for, for years. What do you think, you know, is so special about Nordia and, and about this particular portfolio? What what makes us different? What makes us stand out in your opinion? Well, I think it's a it's a couple of things. I think, uh, first of all, we've been doing it for for a very long time and we're becoming quite good at it. Um, I would say we were early with having um, uh, our uh, in-house research capabilities in ESG, which is, to me as the portfolio manager, extremely important because we need to be able to take responsibility for what we invest in, right? So uh, we can't rely on third parties or or this or that. If something goes wrong in in the company, we need to be able to understand uh, why that is and, and take responsibility for it and hopefully it doesn't go wrong that that often and, and so far it hasn't um, I think secondly <clears throat> this this is an I mean an extremely complex area ESG it's it's very very difficult so w- I think we have a qualitative approach uh, to ESG that that uh, is absolutely key to understanding what the companies are doing and so- sometimes I, f- I feel people are just looking quantitatively or they look at, at uh, um, events or, or something else like that in ESG and, and that simply doesn't work. You need to go deep into the companies and, and really understand the processes and their place in, 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 uh, in, in a sustainable world and, and uh, to be able to make sure that they, they fit into the portfolio. And I think that's something that we are doing very well and, and uh, with, with the help of Philip and his team. Exactly. Yeah. Kudos to Philip. And Philip, is it right to say that you also, uh, at the at the end, you have the ability to veto a name? I mean, based on ESG analysis, is that is that true? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we have different levers that we use to in order to establish this ESG integration that 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 we're that is part of our value proposition. I mean, one of them is that I'm sitting here, right? That we have dedicated ESG analysts for every star, star strategy that that we do have, and absolutely, as you're saying. The kind of the 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 final decision when it comes to a, a portfolio company, um, from our perspective, is that if if we don't consider that it's either benefiting enough or or has too much of a negative impact or is not handling their ESG risks um, in a in a in a satisfactory manner, um, then definitely we do have the option to to say no <laughs> to keep it simple yeah. uh, to yeah. keep it out of the portfolio. Obviously, from our perspective, we want to we are very much concerned with with the financial materiality of topics as well. Um, so that means that uh, many times it won't be when the, when we've actually come to a final decision, it may many times won't be that we have completely, you and I have completely different perspectives on an issue. It will be, we will maybe start out with complete different perspectives and then along uh, down the line, we'll see that it will meet somewhere in the middle and either we'll agree that this this is something that that uh, we don't think the company's handling very well. And because of that, we we can't have it in the portfolios or is no, let's uh, let's use some other tools that we have, for example, engagements and dialogues and, and voting and in uh, during proxy season and things like that. But but yes, the, the ultimate kind of uh, decision is is, an, is on our side. Great. Right. Well, um, what we're going to do now is do a little summary um, of the discussion this morning. And then at the end, I'll just ask you if you've got anything you'd like to add. But um, if we just bring up that summary slide quickly now, um, like we said right at the beginning, um, you know, what we're trying to do here is achieve excess returns using ESG, um, but competing with the broader market. So we believe that ESG is not a compromise that we can generate alpha and perhaps even better alpha uh, over time. So um, that's, that's an important point for everyone. Again, we're stock pickers on this particular strategy. Uh, we are style opportunistic. We've seen this switch from growth more to value and that's actually been reflected in the portfolio as well. We saw that on those, on those charts and that gives us that ability to move around um, and, and adapt the portfolio to different market environments. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, not sacrificing the, the philosophy and, and the process behind it. And then finally, you know, taking investment-led engagements, which uh, are super important in order to help companies, you know, align their business models with the demands of the markets today, with sustainability trends, of course, the ability to generate returns and also have this positive impact on the environment. Those were the key takeaways I had for this morning. Is there anything either of you would like to add before we sign off? I think you summarized it really, really well. Thanks for having <laughs> us on. We've had a year of practice, so. Uh... <laughs> Great, well, in that case, Jan, thank you very much for, for joining us this morning. And also thank you, Philip. Thank you. Next week on the 26th of May, we will be talking with James Crutcher from CBRE Clarion. And we'll be discussing um, global listed infrastructure and why we think that this asset class has multiple positive attributes going for it at this stage in the cycle. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite at nordia.lu and there you'll find all of the past interviews and of course we have those as podcasts as well. We also have 
our other website, that's nordiaassetmanagement.com, host of material available for you there. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Wednesday.